before I start, I just wanted to thank you all for your prayers. Um, for those who knew I was preaching, they expressed their heartfelt desire to pray for me. And it was, it was really needed. Because um, like John said, it's a, it's a challenging prep to do. So <laughs> thank you all. So my, uh, my wife, Stephanie, loves to go on cruises. Um, she, with her family, would drive down every year to Port Canaveral, Florida, to get onto one of the many ships that were there. Uh, they went to like, all kinds of places. They went to the Bahamas, they went to Haiti, Jamaica, Mexico. There were so many places to go to. Her memories of those times are some of the fondest memories of her childhood. So when we were getting married, and I was thinking, what could we do for our honeymoon? Immediately, it was a no-brainer that we had to go on a cruise. <laughs> had to. It had been years since I had been on a cruise, and we were both looking forward to going, and we, we had a blast. So much so that we've already booked our next one. It isn't until 2021 because of, you know, kids and things. So until then, we have to scratch that cruise itch some other way, meaning lots of YouTube and cruise blogs. You'd be, you'd be surprised. It was not too long ago that Stephanie was just flipping through Google's news feed, as I'm sure that we spent too much time doing, when she saw an article about a couple that was stranded in the Bahamas because they arrived too late to get on board the ship. Now, the best thing about this article is that it included video. <laughs> so you can see it all in, in gory detail. And it was the reason why this story was getting so much press. In the video, you could see all of the people on the, on the deck, the crew working to get everything prepped for the vehicle to leave. And you could see the gangplank retract and the doors close shut tight and the engines start. And as the ship was pulling out and it was the point of no return, you see two individuals running, waving their hands, <laughs> ge uh, gesturing wildly for the ship to stop, stop, stop. <laughs> Frantically, they would begin to they began to run along the side of the ship, desperately searching for any member of the crew to alert to their plight. But despite their desperation, they see the ship start to throttle into full gear and pull further away. The video that was shot from actually a ship of another deck zooms in on the unlucky couple, and you can literally see on their faces the moment of realization. They have their hands on their head, looks of disbelief on their faces, and they find themselves in a foreign country with no luggage and no way back home. And this is literally the worst nightmare for anyone who's been on a cruise. They had missed what chances they had to reunite with the ship and join the rest of the passengers on board. The rest of the from the rest of the article, we learned that the couple refrained from consulting the ship's itinerary before departing because they believed that they had firmly in their minds the time for departure. You see, in the previous stops on this particular cruise, the ship had left wherever they were at exactly the same time, every time, with the exception of this one, which left two hours early. 
they assumed that this time would be like every other time, that their prior experiences would inform their future ones. But unfortunately, this time, their experience led them astray. Well, just like the couple in this story, the subjects in our gospel reading similarly find themselves locked out without any way of entering. This time, instead of a ship, they find themselves barred from something greater, the kingdom of God. In the gospel that we read, Jesus is asked a question. A question that Jesus, like he often does, answers indirectly. And from Jesus' response to this question, we can learn three things about salvation. Firstly, that not everyone will be saved. Secondly, that salvation is about knowing God. And thirdly, that the opportunity for salvation will not last forever. So let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 13, 22, page 873 for those with few Bibles. And we'll begin with 22. We read, He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying through toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? So, as Jesus is traveling from town to village, he is asked, Lord, are only a few going to be saved? This is a question concerning ultimate salvation, and it is a question that we can very much sympathize with. It was a hotly debated topic among rabbis then, and it still is to this day. Much time and ink throughout history has been devoted to this question, and the various answers have spawned from it have been a point of division and separation. Now, in Jesus' time, there were two ways that most rabbis would answer this question if asked. One answer was that only by closely following everything written in the Torah, as well as the Talmud, would one gain entrance into the kingdom of God. The Torah was the first five books of the Old Testament and contains all of the laws that was given by the Lord to Moses on Mount Sinai. The Talmud was a book of rabbinic teachings on the Torah. You see, in ancient Israel, the traditions and teachings on the Torah were passed down orally and was centered around the temple. But when the temple was destroyed by the Babylonians, the traditions and teachings of Israel could no longer be easily passed down orally. So instead, they just put them in a book. The teachings in the Talmud details all the laws in the Torah and what was the proper way to follow them according to Jewish tradition. According to the Talmud, the Torah consisted of a total of 613 laws and regulations that everyone had to follow and was very specific and quite strict. For example, Leviticus 27.30 talks about giving 10% of what your land produces as a tithe to the priests, um, and to tithe to the priests, and it's one of the regulations mentioned in the Talmud. 
Now, in order to keep this specific regulation, the Pharisees would literally cut a tenth off of any herb and spice to give as a tithe. To them, holding to the law required strict observance. So how would these rabbis answer the question in verse 22? Well, they would say yes. Only a few will be saved. Because the kingdom of God, in their minds, was only reserved for those who could faithfully keep all 613 laws. That, that wouldn't be a lot of people. I don't know about you, but I, not me. The second answer was that any person of Jewish descent or anyone that converted to Judaism would gain entrance into the kingdom. While the first answer stressed the Torah, these rabbis would stress heritage. In the Old Testament, the Lord appeared to Abraham and promised that his descendants would be his people and that the Lord would lead them into a land prepared just for them. It was because of this promise that many had confidence that they would gain entrance into the kingdom of God. It was a very common view during Jesus' time, and many that Jesus interact, interacted with would point to Abraham as the reason that they would gain entrance into the kingdom of God. So how would these rabbis answer the question in 22? Well, they would say, no, no, many will be saved, not just a few. Anyone can gain the blessings promised to Abraham in the Old Testament as long as they were Jewish. Now, these two schools of thought still continue to this very day, even in the modern Christian church. On one hand, you have fundamentalist churches, or what we term fundamentalists. These churches uphold strict and narrow sets of practices and only those who are able to keep them unequivocally will gain entrance into the kingdom of God. These churches are churches where you might get the impression that if you are not in your pews every Sunday, then you are in sin and you cannot go to heaven. Or if that you do not speak in tongues, then you do not have the Holy Spirit and therefore cannot go to heaven. Or that if you are not confirmed by their priest or pastor then your sins are not forgiven and you cannot go to heaven. Now, many of you may have been to churches where you might feel that this has been the case. It is these churches that would say to the question that only a few will be saved. On the other hand, you have universalist churches. These churches claim that because God and Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world, then everyone, regardless of what you did or what you believe, will be allowed into the kingdom of God. While fundamentalist churches are strict and narrow, universalist churches are easy and broad. Do you believe in God? Doesn't matter. You're in. Do you love the Lord and your neighbor? Doesn't matter. You're also in. You know, and all these churches are not as common Many of you have heard of some of these, some of which are very prominent. And it's these churches that would answer the question, many will be saved, or everyone will be saved. But Jesus does not adhere 
strictly to either of these views. Jesus offers a different perspective. We read starting in verse 24. He said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. From this parable, we are able to learn three things. Firstly, that not everyone will be saved. That salvation is about knowing God. And thirdly, that the opportunity will not last forever. Firstly, that not everyone will be saved. Jesus starts the parable talking about a door. Now, doors were commonly used, uh, were a commonly used image in describing the end times, uh, particularly in imagery about the wedding feast of a bride. But this particular door is different because it is a narrow door. The narrowness of the door indicates that though the way is open, it is not easy. Jesus warns that many will try to enter through the door but will be unable to. To pass through, you cannot simply stroll through unimpeded, but you must strive to enter by one's own effort. Much like Shaquille O'Neal trying to get into a car. <laughs> Can you see that man? <laughs> he is massive. Can you imagine a man of that size trying to get into any modernly sized vehicle? He actually cannot have a back seat. They have to, the car has to, it's, he's very large. <laughs> The inability to enter the door wakes us up to the harsh reality that some will not be saved. And, even, and not even their pleading will move the heart of the owner. This fundamentally disagrees with response number two, familiar, that one will be saved purely because of either their nationality or ethnic identity. Let's look at our second point, that salvation is only available temporarily. As Sarah mentioned, although the door is wide and open to any that would seek to enter it, it will not always be so. After a time of people attempting to enter the door, the owner of the house will rise and the door will be closed. Once closed, no amount of striving will allow you to enter. Jesus omits any indication of when the door will be closed, creating a sense of immediacy. The undertone that Jesus is setting is that the door is open and the time to enter is right now. That's right. Come on. To wait would run the risk of forfeiting any chance to enter at all. Our third point, that salvation is, is about knowing God. Once the door is closed and the way to enter is lost, the owner 
uh, the, uh, the people plead with the owner, Lord, open the door for us. How does the owner respond? He responds by saying, I don't know where you come from. Or as other translations, but I don't know you or where you come from. Growing up, uh, my parents would take me to church every Sunday. We would go sit in the pews, greet the other people, and we might even share some pleasantries if we were feeling a little spicy. <laughs> we would worship alongside one another. We would share meals. But to this day, I confess that I cannot, for the life of me, remember one thing about anyone in that church. That even though I spent years with them, I never really knew anyone. And I'm sure that many can relate. The man or woman in the cubicle next to you that you still don't know the name of, even though you've been working together for years. Or like my wife, you can't remember any street names <laughs> other than North Monroe or Tennessee Street, <laughs> even though we've been living here. We'll meet 10 plus years, but her for over seven, eight years. <laughs> Salvation requires more than a superficial attempt at knowing God. The people in the parable ate and drank with the owner of the house and even listened to him teach. But they did not know who he was. This notion disagrees with those that think that they will be saved based on strict observance with the law. Let me summarize and close. The parable of the narrow door is a warning. It is a warning to seek the salvation of God now while the offer is still on the table. But unfortunately, not everyone will heed this warning. The harsh reality that not everyone will be saved was a sorrow, source of sorrow for Jesus. That though the owner closes the door, he does so with a heavy heart. In 34, Jesus laments, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to it. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Jesus is that hen who wants to gather his chicks under his wing. Now there are two possible ways that one might respond to the parable of the narrow door. One way is to think that this word is too hard. And the other is to think that it's too easy. After reading this passage, some might say, Lord, this is too hard. The door is too narrow and my sin too wide. Weighed down by addiction, confusion, anger, depression, unforgiveness, or a myriad of other things, it is easy to feel despair. How can I possibly strive to enter when my sin is so great? Would the Lord even let me in if I try? Surely I will be one of the ones that will be un unable to make it through. 
The warning of Jesus to enter through the narrow gate is a sobering one, but it was one that was never intended to drive us to despair, and in, but instead to wake us up to the reality that God is calling everyone, regardless of your circumstance, to be saved. Brothers and sisters, there is hope. That hope is that the door is open and the way is made clear for any who would seek to enter. Entrance is not about being born into the correct family or even rigid adherence to a bunch of laws that no one could possibly keep, but is instead about an intimate relationship with God. The good news is that as Jesus was warning the people of Israel that the way is narrow, he was on his way to Jerusalem under the threat of death to die for the sins of the world. He said, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today, tomorrow, and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Herod sought to take his life from him, but Jesus freely gave it, so that even someone like Herod would have a chance to be saved. Mm -hmm. God will not turn us away. Our sin cannot be too great because through the cross, God demonstrated his power over sin and death and that nothing is too great for our God to overcome. So if you feel despair, there is hope. Come through the door, the, the open and waiting narrow door. Jesus is waiting. The other way is to think the exact opposite, that this word is too easy. One might say that though the way is narrow, that they have been a Christian their entire life since they were a kid. Their parents are Christians, their grandparents are Christians, they attend youth group, Bible study, and they have a rich spiritual heritage that guarantees their salvation. Instead of feeling despair, because the way is too hard. Instead, they feel arrogance. Now, coming into college, this this was me. I'd attended church all my life. I went to Sunday school, youth group, Boy Scouts. I was doing it all, and I thought that I was set. But it wasn't until college that I was invited to a Bible study to study the Gospel of Luke, this very Gospel, that I realized I had never really read the Bible. I'd only listened to people read it to me. And I had never really prayed with sincerity to God. I was like the people in the parable who said, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. I never really knew God. I had grown arrogant thinking that my deeds guaranteed that I was saved. And it wasn't until that I met Jesus, that I knew that I was wrong. To this way of thinking, this warning is good news because it calls us to humility. It shows us our arrogant ways and it shows us a better way. Mm -hmm. The way of Jesus. 
So whether you feel you fall into one of these two categories, Jesus is calling us all to enter through the narrow door. To pursue a relationship with him this very moment. To not wait. Brothers and sisters, the time is now. Do not find yourselves on a port, wildly flailing your arms because you thought that you knew the way, but instead found yourselves locked out of the ship in a foreign country with no luggage and no way home. Amen. Amen.